I was born into battle. I fought for greed and gods. This is the first war I've seen worth fighting for. Welcome back to the Film Coterie. I'm Roger. I'm Adam. And I'm Matt. And this is episode five for the week of February the 16th, 2017. What's up, guys? How's it going? <laughs> how was the Great White North, Roger? I'm, I'm still thawing out, just how, to be honest with you. How cold was it? Well, um, the first night that I, I, for those of you that don't know, I had some work-related travel, so I ended up in Winnipeg, Canada for five days, and um, the first day I arrived, it was negative 25, but it was bearable because there was no wind, and so I had the third- Hold on, hold on, negative 25, Fahrenheit or Celsius? Celsius. All right, so what is that in Fahrenheit? That's like, well, zero is 32 degrees Fahrenheit. Right. So around zero for us, probably. All right. Negative All right. one, one, two. Did you feel like you were in the thing? Yes. I, 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 I felt I like a popsicle is what I felt like. But So it's super cold, right? But I had Thursday night to kill, and it's our movie night, and I wanted to go see John Wick 2. So there right across the uh, hotel was the big Cinemaplex, the whole nine yards. And so I had a little adventure, went over there, and I'll talk about that here in just a minute, but uh, needless to say, when I got out of the theater, oh my goodness, blizzard conditions, snowing sideways, <sighs> the the coldest trip I've ever made was from the taxi to the 20 feet into the doors of the hotel room there, so. Did you actually pack for the weather? Did you have a coat and stuff like that? Nope, I did not. <laughs> Way to plan ahead, buddy. <laughs> Way to plan ahead. I took my normal, I did, okay, I did pack. Uh, toboggan and, and gloves and my nice light black jacket I wear everywhere and clothes for underneath of it, you know. <laughs> I mean, I'm going on a plane. Who wants to haul a big parka and all that? And I'm in a conference all weekend in a hotel, you know. So anyway, it was it was very cold, very cold. But enough about that Canadian trip. Our listeners, well, maybe our Canadian listeners, maybe our Winnipeg, we'll get some Winnipeg listeners because I promoted the show all weekend while I was there. So we'll see if we get some listeners from... Manitoba and beyond, right? We'll have to talk about the goon. Then the sequel's coming soon. I think it's opening in Canada. Goons in March. too. It was one of the trailers, and I, and I'm oh. I'm I'm sitting there in the theater going, "This can't be a real movie. <laughs> this thing cannot be real." We're gonna get you with the goon. One of us will give it to you as assignment. It's a good Hold movie. On. I have to. It's my week, right? It is your week to give I'll Roger a movie. I'll skip out on a weird movie, and you're probably gonna get the goon. I'll have to see if it's available somewhere. Oh man! But, uh, already, we're not even three minutes into this show, and they're already giving me grief about. Can't wait to deviously dish out some crazy movie I've never seen before. It's not even crazy. I was gonna give you something crazy. Well, yeah, yeah, I've kind of. 
I've kind of come to learn that, right? <laughs> but anyway, enough about all that. What's news and noteworthy for the week, Adam? What's been happening, man? The DC Cinematic Universe is moving and shaking. So last week we talked about how Ben Affleck was no longer directing the Batman. I am Batman. <laughs> now we're hearing he no longer wants to be the Batman. I mean, it's, can you blame him? There's so much shaking up over there. He's probably worried looking ahead at this contract that he's got to make two or three more movies. It's just a house of cards, man. The whole thing is about to come crashing down in a big, ugly, hot mess, and I can't wait to watch the whole thing. I think he's going to stay, but, I mean, it's rough. What do you do? He's already shot the, the other movie, right? He's already shot He the, shot Justice League. Yeah, that's in the can. I mean, they're, it's, that's in post-production or whatever. And he's now. on the hook for Justice League <clears throat> 2, and he's on the hook for the Batman. I don't know if he has more on his contract or not. That's, what? I don't know. Well, there is an out. I was thinking about this coming over here today. There's an out. There's a way Ben Affleck can get out, and and still we can still save the Batman character. You just have to eliminate Bruce Wayne, and only have the Batman show up in these in the rest of these movies. Then you then you can play anybody you want could be the Batman. Yeah, but I mean that's the whole like. <laughs> Like, I'm just, I'm befuddled right now. You Batman has two natures. You need both. Yes. You need Bruce Wayne and it's you need called, Batman. It's called the Batman, so let's just have Batman only in it. <laughs> and then it looks like Matt Reeves is going to be directing the Batman. He's from the Planet of the Apes franchise currently, and I think this was a good pickup for them. We know they weren't going to get the A-list talent they were shooting for, but I think no, he's Reeves a great grab. Reeves is good, yeah. yeah absolutely. And he, right, what, do you, know, you remember what he did before Planet of the Apes? There was something good. Cloverfield. Like, yeah. And he yeah. did the American version of Let the Right One In, nice. which I haven't seen. I, nice. I didn't want to mess with the memory of the good one that no, I've seen. I've never seen that. But the new Planet of the Apes, see, I mean, has he done both, right? There's been two? Yes. He's done both of them? I don't know if he did the first one. He did the, the last one? one, and he's doing this one that's coming out. The last one was better than it had any right to be. Well, both of them were. The first two were both were better than I ever thought they would be. Yeah, yeah. So that's pretty no. Exciting. I, I I have um I've liked the Planet of the Apes. Yeah, absolutely. I've liked the series so far. It's been okay. And then the craziest rumor is that Warner Brothers and the DC Universe may have offered Suicide Squad two to Mel Gibson. I, I saw that on the wire. I have no idea if he's going to take the job. This is what terrifies me. The word, what I saw on the wire when I was looking at it was he's now studying the source material to familiarize himself with the concept. That tells you right there and then why he should not be directing that movie. I don't know. I'm, I'm kind of excited about his take on it. He's only ever done historical movies when he's directed because he's given us Hacksaw Ridge, Passion of the Christ, Braveheart. That's more or less his wheelhouse. I don't know what a Mel Gibson movie looks like in this comic book world. By the side, I I don't, <clears throat> excuse me, I don't know what to think about Mel Gibson doing this. I thought, I mean, I know he's come back and done Hacksaw Ridge, but he was kind of ostracized for a long time because he went crazy. Well, and, and here's the deal. He's got to have pictures on somebody or something because the dude, every time he makes a movie, he gets nominated for Best Director. I mean, he was nominated for Hacksaw Ridge for Best Director. And yet, a, a year and a half ago, he's ostracized, and people are saying he'll never work in the business again. He's been doing a slow comeback, because he did The Beaver, and then he recently did Bloodfather, which actually wasn't too bad. Yeah, when did he do 
what a what was it? The that prison in, yeah. The prison in Mexico movie? Yeah. Was that before or after the meltdown? After. Now, All right. Now I will give Gibson this kind I will give him credit for this. The guy knows how to shoot action sequences. He knows how to make an action movie. I mean, if you want combat and action and chase scenes, he's pretty good at it. So I, I just just the phrase Mel Gibson tied to that series. I, I Suicide Squad 2, a Mel Gibson movie. <laughs> I haven't even seen Suicide, the original Suicide Squad. Because once I found out the trailer came out and they said, well, we need to recut this film to make it more like the trailer because everyone kind of liked the trailer. I was like, Ooh, probably not going to check that and out. And the director, the first one, David Ayers, has been going around last week and saying he wished he had a time machine so he could go back and reshoot that movie. Well, I can see good. that. Yeah. What else we got? Yeah. All right. This one's from the horror desk, and I'm really intrigued by this project. Out of nowhere, Danny McBride and his partner, David Gordon Green, that they've done Vice Principals, Eastbound and Down, Pineapple Express. No way. D- tell me this is are you serious. This what? is serious. They have the rights to Halloween. Are they going to like remake, do a reboot of the franchise? Partial reboot. They're going to cut off the rest of the franchise after two and make a movie that's a sequel to part two and ignore the rest. And I'm kind of excited for it. I don't know what it's going to be. They said it's going to be serious. It's not like Pineapple Express or that kind of humor. Is Danny McBride going to be in the movie? Probably. Well, I know exactly what character he's going to play. Loomis? No, I'm not saying character in the movie. I know whatever his character is... I know how that character is going to be played. Kenny Powers. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that's a given. Yeah. But I just, I don't know. I mean, they both love Halloween. It's a legit love for this movie. I think they're going to try to do it well. I mean, Rob Zombie dropped the ball. He had two chances to make a Halloween movie. They both stunk. So here's another shot in the dark. We're just cleaving off the bad part of the franchise. Nothing past part two will exist anymore, and this will be a real sequel. So, Adam, with, with your understanding of how horror films work and, and Danny McBride and his, his movies that he's done, what do you think he would bring to the table? Do you have any, do you have any projections, any thoughts, any, or are you just like, well, we'll just see what he does with it? I think, and this is just based on what I read, I mean, it's not going to be a comedy. I think it's going to be a straight-up sequel to part two. It'll be intense, a thriller um, I think we're going to get a new Laurie Strode. It's going to follow that. And I don't know where we go because the second one took place in the hospital. So I I have no idea the setting of it. But I'm pumped. I'm, I don't – there's nothing to lose here. We're going to get crappy Halloween movies. At least they're going to take a gamble on this kind of project. Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. Well, maybe we need to get to the elephant in the room. John Wick 2 and Roger's opinion <clears throat> of it. Okay, so I wanted to share a little bit about my experience. I, I've never seen a movie in Canada before, and so went over to, uh, for business to Winnipeg, and literally right across the uh, hotel is a massive mall, Polo City Mall. If you're in Winnipeg, you know where it's at, right? And they're, they're big, giant cineplex. And uh, you go in, and it's, and it's very similar to an American movie house. I mean, arcades along the wall, a bar over here, you know, it's kind of... Modern, up, up, upscale. The ticket was actually a very affordable. It was Canadian. It was $10.50 Canadian money, which would be like eight fifty or 9 So that And that was prime time. That was 7 o'clock. The food, on the other hand, oh, my word. 
I was in line to get food, and the couple in front of me bought a single popcorn and two drinks and a bag of candy, and it was $43. What? $43. How, let me ask you now this. They, got the, they did get the big jumbo popcorn and the larger drinks, two drinks, one popcorn, and a bag of Skittles. Plated in gold. It must have been $43. I literally got out of line and just walked over to this because I was starving hungry. I had not eaten in like eight hours, right? And I just got out of line and walked into the theater. Well, you know, know theaters now are putting in more food, more than just your popcorn or whatever. Did they have poutine? I did not see poutine on the menu, no. Good. I'm not a yeah. fan. Hot dogs, popcorn, you know, your, your pretzels. Ba- pretzels nachos and cheese it's your it's your movie theater now i will say going into the screen it it would be considered one step below our big giant houses like like if you go to the linux or or marcus or somewhere they're they're one and two super house you know that seats i don't know 550 or whatever one step below that for john wick um it was playing on multiple screens and it was playing every half hour throughout the night and uh, stadium seating, um, leather chairs, but I felt like I'm a bigger guy, and I felt like I was sitting on a bicycle seat because it was the leather chairs which got about eight inches of space between the other leather leather chairs and like a handrail there kind of deal. And I was like, okay, this is interesting, <laughs> you know. Um, and no, and no previews per se. Well, I, let me take that back. They do their previews. Like we do the first twenty minutes leading up to the previews, like a commercial for Coke, and then a, and then you know they're showing you kind of like previews, but I never got the feeling like you know in an American movie house the lights go down and then you get fifteen to twenty minutes of previews, none of that. You know they would show clips and talk about movies, and I, I sh- that's where I saw Goonies two or Goons two or whatever the heck this movie's the Goon, the Goon, the or- last of the Enforcers. Whatever, whatever this movie, this hockey movie is, I had, I'm just dying laughing because I'm thinking only, I, you know, I didn't know it was a thing in America, and I'm thinking only in Canada are they going to have a movie called The Goon. Well, and, here, let me jump in because in 2017, here's what we're getting: we're getting The Last Jedi, Transformers: The Last Knight, and then we have Goon: The Last of the Enforcers. The Last of the Enforcers. For those of you up north and those of you that have watched The Goon. We talked to Roger immediately after his viewing of John Wick 2 oh, yeah. from Canada. And he mentioned, oh, I saw a crazy preview for this hockey movie only in Canada. And immediately, both me and Adam <laughs> jumped in and said, you've lost your mind. That's a great movie. So it's not just for Canada. No, absolutely. It's just, let me just say it this way. My movie palette did not include the goon <clears throat> on it before before that preview. Let's just say it that way. And then... The movie started rolling, and it was a great print. I mean, digital screen, the whole nine yards, and what a glorious movie, man. I'm was the crowd into it? Huge, packed out. I mean, there was prob- probably seated 300, maybe 350, and there might have been 20 empty seats. And, those, and, th- and that was because, I mean, literally, the, the people that showed up late, the first three rows, there was not an empty seat. you know. And um, the crowd was into it. They cheered, uh, clapped a couple times. Uh, you, you know, you get that, oh, you know, when something gruesome would happen. And, uh, no, it was a great crowd. Very, very into it and very, very enjoyable experience. Absolutely. So now the question, the question you've been dreading all day. Oh, boy. 
we have a thing we do called TFC Recommends. I'm going to ask Roger, because Matt and I saw it last week, but we need to do a vote. Does this movie enter the hollowed hall of TFC Recommends? If you say anything other than yes, Roger, you're wrong. And again, our criteria is that if you were talking to a stranger and you knew nothing about this person, would you recommend this movie without reservation and say this is a good film? Okay, so so here's the deal. Um, I love John Wick, and I love John Wick too. Love them. I, and I just there's something about they are. It's it's. I guess I would call it stylized violence, stylized gun violence. Um, and John Wick two just took it to a whole nother level. Um, and maybe, you know, if this was. If this was what I would call realistic violence, I, I just couldn't bear to watch these kind of movies. But it's stylized. It's it's in a world where they have you know hotels that the mob or whatever they rent this club these assassins rent you know that kind of thing and they stay and all so it's it's like a fantasy world to me. So I don't consider it, it a real world. Love the movie, loved it. I thought it was great. I'm I'm looking forward to seeing it again in the theaters. And so, uh, without total reservation, okay, yes, I'm going to recommend it, and I I think we need to put it on our website, because you can't not recommend this movie. I would say, though, I would say it is rated R. I would would not let a teenager, 13, 14-year-old, go see this movie. And speaking of, so when... I believe when we were looking at John Wick 1, we came across some sites that had done kill counts and things like that. And John Wick, there were 77 confirmed kills. Would you like to know how many kills there were in John Wick 2? I would say easily over 100. 128. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, yes, so so I'm going to recommend it. I, I, I think if you're over 18 and you're an adult and you like action, you like stylized action... You like uh, world building, some of the best world building I've ever seen in a film. I mean, just incredible. I mean, normally you get the whole world building and origin story in the first movie, and they just expanded this world, and I don't think they're done. I mean, I, I, I literally think as we saw John Wick running away, I almost got that. Well, I'm, oh. uh, I mean, just careful at the end. Oh, yes. I don't want to spoil anything, but yes. as, as you see the ending of him, I had two different impressions about what I thought was going on there. You know, um, my initial response. And then as I was driving back to the hotel, I thought, or riding back, I thought maybe there's something uh, a little different than what I thought was going on there with that. So anyway, love the movie. Okay. Yes. I'm, I'm, I'm going to say yes. Okay. Cause if you weren't going to say yes, my next question was if a man walked up to you, would you recommend it to him? Uh, yes. If that, how sure would you be? Like 80% sure? Yeah, 80%, 90% sure. If that guy had a tattoo, how sure would you be then? I, I don't know. Are we profiling now? No, not profiling. <laughs> I'm just, just saying it's a man, like, my wife likes it, but it's a man's action movie. I mean, it just is. It's. I'm not saying it's not a woman's action. I'm not saying they can't like it, but I'm saying it is violent. And yeah. glorious. My mom liked the first one. Now, my wife liked it, so... I saw it with my mom at Fantastic Fest. 
she's seen the second one and she wasn't that big of a fan of the second one. She thought, you know what? Maybe this is too many headshots and too much violence. Yeah. Well, I did not notice the violence as much in the first one, but there were a couple times in the second movie where I was like, man, there's a lot of headshots going on. I mean, there's a lot. This is very violent, very brutal, you know. Um, but I, I, yeah, so I'm going to say yes. The, the short answer is yes, I'm going to recommend it. I think it should go on our wall of Film Coterie Recommends. Um, yeah. Good. All right, Matt, what's your vote? Uh, I Yeah. All right. Absolutely. And I'll top it off. I give it a third yes. All right. Sounds good. Well, let's take a break and come back, and we're going to have our Thursday night movie review of The Great Wall. Welcome back to the Film Coterie Podcast. Um, right now, we're going to get into our Thursday night movie viewing. I was not able to go. So what we have decided, because Adam and Roger were both able to go see The Great Wall with Matt Damon this evening, that I'm just going to ask them questions, kind of let them talk about a little bit uh, their thoughts and impressions on this movie. So I will start with Roger. Roger? Did they build the Great Wall to keep out Matt Damon? <laughs> That's well, what the movie posters told me. If they did, it didn't work. And for people wondering what we're talking about, just look at the poster in the theater. It says, what was the wall built to keep out? And the very next words are Matt Damon. In big letters. Yes. Uh, yeah, I think that was part of the reason they did build the wall, was to keep Matt Damon out. And they failed gloriously. <laughs> we should probably explain how we see movies on Thursday night. Right. It's a democracy. We go with other people that aren't on this podcast. I leave it to them vote. And unless I put my foot down, usually majority rolls. I wanted to see a cure for wellness this week. Yeah, I would have voted for that one, I think. My vote did not carry. The majority ruled and we saw the Great Wall. Yeah. And so this is kind of a hot take, fresh take. We're just literally coming back from the theater. I I got you. Adam, does that mean that you... I mean, I know you want to see a cure for wellness. Does that mean you did not want to see the Great Wall in theaters? I could have easily waited to see this movie later. <laughs> After what? I mean, I've seen the previews. I've read previews. It was ticking no boxes for me. There was nothing in this movie that said, Adam, go see this movie in theaters. Okay. Um, so after watching it, do you still have that same opinion of this movie? Yeah, there's nothing good here. Oh, wow. Nothing good. For comps, we were we walked out of the theater, and our conversation wasn't anything good about this movie. It was, what is this movie worse than? And so far, we've decided maybe Assassin's Creed. Hold on. It's worse than Assassin's yes. Creed? No. No, I take that back. We, we debated it, and we decided it was better than Assassin's Creed. It's on par of Gods of Egypt. Wow. We didn't have a clear answer for the superior film between those two. All right, but this is a, a Chinese film, correct? It's from Legendary East, their first movie. All right. Um, it's a mix. I mean, it was written by, allegedly, U.S. Uh, screenplay writers, but I've heard there were major rewrites, thanks okay. to some Chinese investors. Gotcha. Rewrites because well, they couldn't get away with something? or Cultural no- stuff. Yeah, yeah. Th- there were definite themes they tried 
to push onto you about honor and trust and themes that are very important, uh, commitment to that whole culture that's there. But they were very heavy-handed. Um, well, let's set it up a little bit. Okay. So in the preview, you see that there's a wall, and there's a horde of some kind of monster that's trying to breach the wall. A great wall. And Matt Damon, for some reason, is there at the wall. Yes. So that's the whole movie, literally. I've just described it. <clears throat> and awesome. for the, for those of you who may be wanting to go see The Great Wall this weekend, uh, we'll try not to spoil a whole lot. But I, I will say, I will say this about the movie: the first twenty minutes of the movie, I was like, "Oh dang, we might actually get a good movie here," because the initial setup. Um, this is the best way I can describe it. And let me know if you see it the same way. Matt Damon goes through a transformation in the movie where he, he begins gruff, been on the road for years, long beard, long scraggly hair, stinks, smells. All of those scenes up to that point are, the movie's actually pretty good. Then he goes and cleans himself up, cuts all of his hair off, and he becomes Matt Damon. And the movie just takes a big nosedive from that point on, in my opinion, it just crashes right into the ground. There's good production design here. No, yes. That's what I was going to yes. ask. How is the, because when you look at it, right, it looks like it's going to be, while a gritty film, because there's monsters and the time it's set, it looks like it's going to be very pretty. It's beautiful. Be there's there's some scenes that are beautifully shot. Um, Yeah, I mean, yeah, absolutely. It's, it's, Stark desert, and then and then these orange like orange palette of uh, of um, mountains and stuff, and you know like Grand Canyon type effect kind of deal on a small scale coming up into the wall, and so yeah, and then the wall itself is amazing. I mean, you know, I I I really wonder is all that stuff really true? I mean, can they really do all that stuff with the wall? I'm not like, is that really? I don't want to get into spoilers. I'm sorry, but. I laughed. Let's put it this way. I spent a lot of the theater, the, the theater time after 20 minutes laughing during the movie at scenes that I don't think were meant to be comedy. No, there's some there's some hijinks in this movie that caused most of the audience to gasp or make noises. That's uh, I don't think that's the kind of movie this was supposed to be. No, but the costuming's really cool. They all yes. had very unique armor. There's four orders yes. on top of the wall with different jobs. Yeah. So the and guys that, in the red armor. That's very cool. Yeah, it looked great. I, you know, I, I wish they would have just made this movie and not put American actors in it and just had a defense of, a defense of the wall for what it, what what is coming to attack and put no Americans in it. I think this would have been could have been a really good movie. I'm being honest with you, you know. But right, but did putting Matt Damon in the movie change the movie appreciably? No, he's the window to the wall yeah. because through yeah. him you learn how it works and what's going on there. He's sort of the viewer. Okay, gotcha. But the, the armor that these people wear denotes their jobs. So the archers have red armor. The crane group wears blue, and if you see them in the preview, they're the women that dive off the wall yes. that are tethered. Right, and that's very cool, even though I'm not really sure what... What the purpose of that was for? I think it's all inspired by Attack on Titan. If you've seen that, there's some sequences in there where they're running along the wall and do stuff. That's a Japanese anime where they fight monsters and they wear these jetpacks and harpoons and swing on walls and stuff. I think okay. some of that. Hold on, Attack of that is that the weird with the naked giants? Yeah. Yep. 
Oh, right. I've seen a couple episodes of that, uh, but I haven't seen all of it. I do want to say, too, surprisingly, this is not a white savior movie. No, it's not. It really, you know, even though he doesn't come in, I was expecting him to come in being totally helpless, and he's not. He really is a warrior, but he doesn't really, I don't want to spoil it, but he's he, he doesn't play that. Um, he doesn't teach him anything. No, not at all. Because in white savior movies, when we say that, that's a common term for movies like The Last Samurai, Dances with Wolves, even Avatar, I would argue, is a white savior movie. I agree where a white individual comes to a culture and teaches them how to defend themselves or better military tactics or something like that. That doesn't happen at all in this movie. In fact, they teach him everything. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah. So my kind of maybe my, do you have more questions, Matt? Or How was Matt Damon's long hair in this? I saw, the reason I ask is I saw a recent interview with Matt Damon in the publicity tour for this movie saying that he hated his hair, he thought it was gross, it was a number of extensions, and during shooting, at one point, he got called back to do reshoots on The Martian and cut it all off, and it looks like it looked like a rat's nest in the floor. I couldn't really tell any difference no, in the hair. No, I, I thought the hair looked fine. I, the, hair looked, the hair, makeup, and everything looked like him and his partner had been on the road for years on the run. I will say this for reshoots. If you see the new Fantastic Four... Uh, it's Kate Mara. She has a completely different hair color and hairstyle during the movie. And it was during the reshoots. It's so obvious. It's one of the worst wigs I've seen in a movie. So it's nothing like that. You can't tell right. in this movie. No. Yeah, absolutely. But Matt Damon's accent in this movie is unplaceable. Oh, my God. We were debating where he was from. Yes. I had one friend that swear he's Irish. I would say it's just a generic, bad European accent. Okay. Imagine, imagine if I walked in to play this role and I decided to just go like, I'm now going to talk like this. It's so bad. And 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 I'm going to try to lower my voice so that I sound older and more intense. When and you know, sometimes a little bit Irish. And <laughs> but is that truth? A little, is that a little bit truth. Irish or is it a little bit like Southie from Boston? I think it's a little maybe Southie from Boston at times. <laughs> when it's so weird because his traveling companion's clearly Spanish. Well, yeah, and here's the deal. You know what Matt Damon sounds like. He's been in so many movies. You can you could turn your back and recognize his voice. And to hear him go, and now it's time for us to go and face the wall. I'm like, and who, what? You, you could just see him trying to act on screen. It was so bad. And the dialogue's really bad. The di- that yes. wasn't doing him any favors. Yes. So you're saying for this first movie from Legendary East, it sounds like to me they got it half right. They got the look of a movie. <clears throat> then now they just need the story yes. to go along with I, it. I agree. I think that's a great assessment, Matt. Absolutely. Well, and it has the Chinese customs and virtues they want in it. Because the message really is give everything for your country. Sacrifice. Yeah. yeah for absolutely. the greater good. Oh, you mean communism? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> all right. <laughs> I will say this. With all the movies that are out right now, I'm just going to say it right now. Go see something else. Wait till it comes to to video on demand or HBO or Showtime or whoever, Netflix, whoever owns this. And if you want to have a good chuckle one evening, break out the big screen and and, and watch it at home, you know, maybe. I, I, there's just so many other great movies um, that are in the theaters right now you could see, you know. But, I mean, if you're, in, if you're, if you're really into that culture and, 
you know, you want to see people dressed up pretty and, you know, epic war scenes and, and other things that they battle that are not necessarily human. Okay. Yeah. You know, and there's a lot of subtitles in this movie. I mean, it was filmed so that both sides are speaking their native tongue. And actually yeah. at the theater we were at, you could see it either way. You could go see it the way we saw it, which is where the Chinese actors were subtitled, or you could see it in Matt Damon and everyone else were subtitled in Mandarin. Yeah. Oh, that's pretty nifty. Yeah. yeah it's kind of cool. They're really trying to to capture a different audience, I think, here in America with the film. So, Well, that's nice, though. And you, you looked it up. It's already done all right. It opened in December in China, and you said it was well over like 170. 170 million dollars. Yeah, already. Yeah. So. So. <clears throat> so then, then the question becomes: Is there going to be a Great Wall two? No. All no. Right. No, I say not. They could do a different movie, maybe with some of these generals, but I don't think there's a Great Wall two in Matt Damon's future. Yeah. All right. You know, I would like to do some research because, um, you know, several of the key uh, leaders were female. And I just wonder in their culture if that was actually the case. I don't think it was, but I could be wrong. You know, because that was kind of like, oh, I mean, I thought it was cool that they did that. But I just just thought maybe at that time. It's a more progressive view now. Yeah. Uh, What was it, 1500s or something? It was it was filmed. It was right before Gunpowder was known outside the world. So there was no gunpowder anywhere else in the world except for China. And, and in case you're wondering about the monsters, just think the Zerg from StarCraft. I mean, that's kind of what it looks like from the that's preview, exactly what it is. the little stuff it's they It's exactly they what show. it is. Yeah. Absolutely. People are comparing it to Lord of the Rings. I don't really get that. What? Aside from maybe the defense and the two towers when they're trying to hold the tower. That's the only comparison to Lord of the Rings. There's no quest here or anything else. There's no fantasy elements, really. No. No. No glowing swords. And, and of course, they did the obligatory 20 seconds, 30 seconds to tell you why the, the monsters were there. Yeah, flashback. Yeah, a flashback or whatever. So, yeah. All right. Well, we'll just do a quick wrap up here. Roger, would you recommend this movie? Uh, no, I would not recommend this movie. And I would not either. But, like I said, if you see it on HBO and you're really bored... Just check it out for 10 minutes and see if it's for you. There you go. And I, of course, must abstain. All right. You're listening to The Film Coterie. We'll be right back with Decade Do-Over 90s Edition. This is the Decade Do-Over 90s edition, and this is a segment where we travel back in time and either see a movie that we haven't seen or maybe re-examine a film we haven't seen in some time. So for this installment, we're back in 1991. 91, baby. And let me set the table a little bit. What's going on in 91? So the first bush is in office. Gas is $1.26 a gallon. I was engaged to be married. And Nirvana hit the music scene with Nevermind and kind of changed the face of music. Yeah, I'm sure my parents would have preferred that not have happened in 91. So we've all either seen a movie we haven't seen before or revisited a movie we had. 
Um, for this segment, I'll go ahead and kick it off with Matt. What movie did you watch for this edition of Decade Do-Over? Uh, I watched Silence of the Lambs. And was this a revisit for you? Uh, most assuredly. I had seen this, I've, I've seen this movie quite a few times. But the reason I picked it um, was I finally got around to watching all of Hannibal, the TV series. So I wanted, it was fresh in my mind of that Dr. Hannibal Lecter to be able to compare it to Anthony Hopkins. And by that Hannibal Lecter, you mean Mads Mikkelsen? Yes, Mads Mikkelsen. Um, Because I remember watching uh, Silence of the Lambs and was like, Hopkins did just a great job. He's creepy. It's phenomenal. You know, he plays like that. I'm smarter than you, but I will also kill you. But, you know, I guess he was older at that time in Silence of the Lambs. And the TV show kind of went not a different way. It was just a younger, you know, you find out why he belongs behind that glass wall in his little cave. So I watched it again specifically to kind of pinpoint um, – you know, to compare those two versions of Hannibal Lecter. Sure. No, no I, I, I love Silence of the Lambs. I, I saw it in the theater. Uh, I've seen it a couple times since then. So I'm a big, big fan. And I love, I forget who even directed it. That's terrible. But I love the point of view shots in that movie are some of the most creepy yeah, Jonathan Demi. Okay, yeah. some of the most creepy, crazy. When 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 Clarice first shows up, and you first see Lecter in his cage, it's from her eyes. I mean, the point of view is you're looking right at Hannibal Lecter. Yeah, and it's just, and then he moves, and he's like, I forget. He names the officer. He's like, so and so brought me a rookie, and you then you see his eyes light up like, oh, what I get to do, what I'm going to do to her, kind of thing. It's just creepy, man. I mean, I'm telling you, a performance. He's there. more reptile than man at first. He's a very <sighs> creepy presence. Very so. So, and then he moves toward the screen, and I found I always find myself backing away. You know. Oh no! It's I'm. Listen, this is what I'm going to say. It's to take nothing away from how Anthony Hopkins portrayed Hannibal Lecter. I'm just going to say, if you were freaked out and you like Silence of Lambs. Silence of the Lambs because you like that creepiness and um, exploring that. You need to go out and watch Hannibal like right now. Yeah. Because in my humble opinion, Mads Mikkelsen, it's it's so good. His his portrayal of Hannibal Lecter is so good. It's. It's more methodical, more demented. And it's warmer. That's a surprising it thing. It is. You realize that there's this, and I I don't, re- I mean, it's been out forever, so I'm not going to care about spoilers. But it is, there's an affection there for certain people, but the de- affection is demented and twisted, and it is glorious. Wow, that's, just, just, that's glorious. kind of exciting, though, because I loved Hannibal Lecter, and to see them be able to stretch it out and do a slow burn and really delve into the heart of that character, you know. Oh, it's and it's and the thing about it is you come into it 
knowing who Hannibal Lecter is. That's the creepy thing. Knowing and, where this and thing is. And everyone else is oblivious to who this man is. And it's watching that unfold because there are points you just want to look at the TV and scream and go, you know, it's Hannibal. I don't know what you're doing. Is there, Matt, is there a Dexter effect with this show? Because I kind of got what you said, that feeling when I first started watching Dexter, because you knew he's a serial killer and all of his co-workers and everybody's oblivious to that. Or is it something just totally different? Well, I think Dexter has a different feel to it because Dexter, there was always this code of honor almost. And Dexter is a hero in the show's world. Yeah. No, yeah, yeah. that's I true. Mean, yeah. yeah, he's a hero because he's k- taking out the bad guys to satiate his own desires. Right. Hannibal lives it's just by no such code. Manacle. If, if you affront him, then you may be on his list. And as we all know, that list includes um, eating some of those people. But I will fine say, dining. I have never. I have never. I, I can't even believe I'm going to say this. Watching scenes of cannibalism in Hannibal makes me hungry. They shoot it like a cooking show. There's nice music. The food looks great. The like level. better than a cooking show. Yeah, I mean, think Chef's Table is the level of oh, shooting they do with oh the food Lord. sequences and in the he, show. Oh he has no. he has this menu. He has this recipe, like old recipe, like flip thing. He'll just flip through it because he knows what parts he has hanging, and he'll find things that go together. And then you'll see him go and just start cooking, and then he'll tell everybody it's one thing. And I mean, there's I think in the first season there's like a dinner party almost every show. I will say this, because I told Matt earlier in the week, I might have even prompted this, I said, I think Mads Mikkelsen's a better Hannibal than Anthony Hopkins. Yeah, you made that statement. But what's unfair to Anthony Hopkins is only, in Silence of the Lambs, we only get two hours with him. We have three seasons of Hannibal, and yeah. then ten episodes, so we get 30 well, hours with Mads Okay, Mads so let me just throw this out here then. Having never seen Hannibal the TV show, but having seen a season of Westworld where Anthony Hopkins gets to stretch his legs a little bit. What about as a final season or a postseason, you let him reprise that as an older version? Give him, and what would he bring to it, giving him a whole season to stretch his legs in that, in that show? Or do you think it would ruin the vibe of the actual show? I, I think it would because Mads brings a level of athleticism and brutality oh, yeah. to Hannibal Lecter that that Anthony Hopkins at his age or even at the age he did Sansa Lance he couldn't just, do just couldn't no. do because I mean you have to think Hannibal you know during the time frame that the TV show is going on is subduing and killing people right I mean I can't see Anthony Hopkins kind of tricks people and hides things or whatever I mean Mad's We'll just go toe-to-toe with somebody. Another thing to remember, too, is that when Silence of the Lambs came out, it was a second Hannibal movie, but nobody saw Manhunter. No one saw the first one. So part of the fun of watching Silence of the Lambs is discovering the character of Hannibal Lecter. You don't know who he is. Well, now that he's a part of pop culture, you can't take that back. You know who Hannibal is. You don't get that sense of discovery anymore. Yeah, absolutely. And the show doesn't even try to do that. No. So they're two different beasts. But I like the character in the show and Mad's portrayal of him better than Silence of the Lambs, Red Dragon, and Hannibal the movie that Anthony Hopkins gave us. Yeah, Han- yeah. I, I 
to me, I don't even think there's a question. It's a show that me and my wife watched together, um, which is why it took me so long to get through it. She refused about midway through season one. She refused to have it be the last thing she watched before she went to bed. And we're talking, this was on TV and it wasn't because it's gory or gross. It was because of Hannibal. Remember he's a psychologist, a psychiatrist. Yeah. Right. So the way he would manipulate that, the way he manipulates people in the show is wonderful. So Hannibal the movie, going back, thoughts. Silence, Silence of, the of the Lambs. Lambs. Oh, excuse me, Silence of the Lambs, yes. It's a good movie. I think it holds up. I, I, you know, it reminds me of the first time that I was introduced to Hannibal. Um, and Jodie Foster is wonderful in it. We, I mean, I'm, it's the first time I've even mentioned her name. Um, it's, it's good. It holds up. Um, I enjoyed it. But like I said, I kind of watched, watched it again with this wanting to compare the two Hannibal Lecters, I would say if you've seen Silence of the Lambs, go out and watch Hannibal. Okay? If you haven't seen either, wow, I don't know which one I would tell you to watch first. I'd go with Silence of the Lambs. Probably. So that way you're introducing that. Yeah. Yeah, I would. So... Yeah, if you haven't seen Silence of the Lambs, go see it, and then promptly uh, go watch Hannibal. I think it's on Amazon Prime. I think all three seasons are on Amazon Prime right now. So do you think that they will do any tie-in prediction when they decide to cancel the season? Would a cool last shot of the TV series be him in a cage and the Jodie Foster stepping in front of the glass? Without getting into spoilers, the show's done. The show's over. Oh, it, it was canceled done. after okay. three seasons. Gotcha. But, but <laughs> oh, oh, okay. they keep teasing us, whether it's Brian Fuller, the producer and showrunner, Mads Mikkelsen, that they might do a mini series. Come or some on, kind Netflix. Of, some kind of project down the road when rights clear up and there's some different funding. We may get more of this universe. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'm going to watch it now. You've piqued my curiosity. You got to, if you like Silence of the Lambs. I do. Now, where's it? Amazon, Netflix? Who has it now? Uh, Amazon Prime Video, I believe, has okay. it. That's where I watched all, I think they have all three seasons at this point. Excellent. Um, watch them and enjoy them and relish in the art, artistry of one Hannibal Lecter. Awesome. All right. For my movie, I really messed up bad. I watched <laughs> I watched something that I wish I could take back. Was it as bad as Darkman? It's different. It's it's on that level. Oh, I'm so, so I've never seen this movie before. I was looking through the list of 1991 movies, and as I said, I'm going to stick to the horror genre. This is a Wes Craven movie that I haven't seen, which is probably even surprising to people. It's The People Under the Stairs. Wow. Have either of you seen this movie? No, but I'm looking at the cover art, the theatrical release poster, and it looks creepy with a skull over a house. And I, you know, I have a memory of that because it came out in 91. I can actually still remember it in the video store in Finley, Ohio, where I grew up. That box, it's a house with a giant skull over it. Oh, yeah. It looks like the Fright Night box. Have you ever seen Fright Night with the clouds that are the vampire? It does. Which I like. I'm a Fright Night Oh, yeah. Night fan. I'm a fan of Fright I'm Night. I'm a fan of Fright Night. Yeah. So the people under the stairs, um, it feels like a bad Goosebumps novel. <laughs> That's a, I mean I, I gotta say it. That's awesome. It's 
it's something from R.L. Stein's Not His Best Day for writing a story. <laughs> uh, it's so juvenile. Um, it, it's about landlords that own lots of buildings in the ghetto, and they, they steal children. And they take the children as their own and raise them. But if the children are bad, they get mutilated somehow. Some are lobotomized. Some just have their tongues cut out. It's sort of the hear no evil, see no evil, speak no evil thing. And then the children are locked in the basement where they turn albino and cannibal. Alrighty. Okay. That's already not great. But then you add in a Goonies plot. And this is why it feels young adult to me. And this is what's really weird about this movie. You guys. There's gold in the house. <laughs> is it in a pirate ship? There are gold coins hidden in this house. Oh. And the young protagonist breaks in to try to get the gold, oh avoid the cannibals, oh and escape boy. from mom and dad. Okay. The effects are super cheesy. These are some of the worst dead bodies I've ever seen because they're just so rubbery that when someone's dragging it, they're almost like the inflatable Bounce, tube bouncing, guys. They're right? Yeah. 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 The arms are real loose. There's a dog that keeps attacking, and it's just a stuffed animal. Like when they're punching the dog in the face, you can tell it's a rubber dog or a stuffed dog. <laughs> It's just hard to believe Wes Craven gave us this movie after Nightmare on Elm Street and Last House on the Left. This is crap. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) You know it opened at the number one spot. It did, and I don't don't know what the trailer is. Can you imagine it came after Nightmare on Elm Street? Yeah, I mean, they traded on his name probably. Yeah, absolutely. And I didn't watch the trailer. Maybe it has an effective trailer. But I just don't know what the audience is. It's too stupid for adults. Because it feels like a young adult story about a kid breaking into a house to steal gold and getting chased around by monsters. And the dad wears this weird leather daddy setup, like full bondage gear, mask zip up over the mouth. No, that's not good. No. No. Ouch. So. Well, sorry, man. I learned a lesson. Um, I, I hadn't seen this movie before, but I did myself no favors by watching it. So, really? Yeah, no reason to check this one out. Just skip it. Okay. So we're down to Roger. Okay. Roger, what movie did you watch for the well, decade do-over? Mine was a very easy pick for me. Um, 1991 was the release of my favorite animated film of all time and my favorite Disney uh, film of all time, and that's, of course, Beauty and the Beast. And um, I was I had a little bit of trepidation. I, I went back... Uh, couple days ago and rewatched it and i was a little nervous because this movie kind of holds such a sacred place in my heart and, and i have such a love for this movie i was thinking oh man don't suck don't be bad don't let don't let me have outgrown this movie you know i'm thinking oh it's gonna be real cheesy I it bet. is a tale as old as time <laughs> oh wow <laughs> ouch but anyway, I, I went back and saw it, and I was right back to 1991. I loved it. I loved every, uh, well, almost every frame of this movie. I just really, really, really loved. Um, and I picked up on a lot of themes. I don't know if I even really caught uh, the first time I watched this film, you know, Um because this is Disney really this was a groundbreaking movie for Disney in a lot of ways where they began to break out of some the of the princess stereotype you know um and you know I just I made some notes I had a little notepad and I was just making notes as I was watching it and the first thing I wrote down was Gaston 
where he's referring to Belle and he says, she's the most beautiful in the town, so that must make her the best. You know, that male chauvinistic, superficial, you know, he's, he is the, uh, the male stereotype on steroids, literally, I think. Um, and then he told Belle one time, you know, people are talking in this town. It's not right for a woman to be reading. And I thought, oh, gosh, you know. But, but you know, um, and there's a lot of sexism subtly in this movie, which I did not catch before. It's interesting, all of the single women in the town, every woman who's not married in the town is very buxom and busty and falling out of their outfits almost. You know, I mean, I was like, oh, okay. They're all blonde-haired, blue-eyed, and they go, oh. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's really kind of funny, you know? And then all the married women are dressed homely in the same white and blue or white and brown or white and gray dress, you know, and they're all a little frumpy and, you know. And churning butter. Churning butter, you know. And then you have Belle, who's a brunette. Um, that they, they gave her uh, green, these green eyes, you know, and she's kind of pretty, but not like a sex symbol, you know. And she just bucks all the trends, you know. She loves to read, and she doesn't care about the superficial, and and so that was kind of uh, she's and she's she doesn't dress for sex appeal, you know. Nothing in her outfits are meant to make her look like a, a, a beautiful princess or anything, that type of thing. Um, some of my other notes, the music held up great. Um, the title song that they do at the dance with her and the beast is just still just awesome. I was just, I just loved it totally. Um, the animation, even though it would probably be done a little better today, um, I just love that old, old style, old fashioned kind of Disney artwork with just a little bit of CGI thrown in because it was a new technology, you know. Um, I did have one disappointment in the film that that I don't necessarily remember, and that was when the Beast. Uh, spoiler alert! It's 1991. You should have seen the movie by now, right? And the novel is a hundred years old. So. Exactly. When the Beast becomes the Prince. More than that. <laughs> You know, he turns into what I would call the classic Ken doll. And I was kind of disappointed with that. I was like, oh, really? I liked the Beast a whole lot better. <laughs> I was going to say, you want Danny DeVito? What do you want him to turn no, into? No, I mean, I, uh, <laughs> Danny DeVito. <laughs> okay, 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 okay. Okay, here's the deal. So, I, yeah, I, I understand it. He's a prince and all this stuff, and they have to be the beautiful, perfect couple now, but... I just kind of like the, I almost kind of wanted him to stay as the beast. The beast had so much character, you know, and I, I don't know. I just, I, I, I was just, it was kind of a little bit of a letdown when he became human and, and she like looked in his eyes and then looked again. It's like, Oh, beast, it is you, you know, kind of a deal. But overall loved, loved the movie. It's still by far my favorite animated film of all time. My favorite Disney film of all time. It's in my top five films of all time. Love Beauty and the Beast. I just love all that it's about. I love that Belle is selfless and she cares for her father. She cares for somebody else. I love that she's willing to look past all the ugliness. I just love that story to begin with, you know. Love the story anyway. And so I was very happy to go back. And I would highly recommend, if you've not seen 1991s, I'm sure... 
at least 80% of the households in America has to have this on VHS or DVD. How did you watch it? Did you own it on DVD? Yeah, I had it on DVD. I don't know where it's available right well, now. Well, I have it on... I have it on VHS somewhere in my basement, and okay. then I had a, a DVD copy of it. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, I assume it's on iTunes. I haven't looked. I, I, mean, I didn't even look. I just went over to the shelf and pulled it off and, and watched it, and uh, it was great. I really liked it. Um, <clears throat> so that's my thoughts about Beauty and the Beast. So with the live-action movie coming out next month, March 17th, is that going to be your vote that week for what we go see? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if, if I get outvoted, that's fine. I'm just going to go see it on a Tuesday, and I'll come back and report on the show or whatever. But uh, I'm actually excited because the guy playing Gaston in the movie is Luke Evans. Okay. And... He's good. I'm I'm looking forward to his portrayal. Well, and and Bell is played by uh, Emma Watson, right? Yeah. So, uh, hey, win win right there. You know, I'm um, excited. I'm really not excited about that. I really didn't like Beauty and the Beast when I saw it. I don't like the story. I don't like. I just don't like it. I'd much. I'd rather watch Aladdin thirty times in a row than watch Beauty and the Beast. That yeah. could be an interesting review because I'm in the indifferent camp to the movie. So right. you guys have stronger opinions about it than me. Yeah, and I and I didn't like Aladdin at all. I thought it was just terrible. Hated Aladdin. <laughs> really? Yeah. I thought it's probably the worst Disney film of, of the of the newer ones they've done. I just didn't like it. Does Treasure Planet count as one of well, the newer ones? Okay, yeah. That putting that it's it's better than Treasure Planet. Atlantis. In Atlantis, yes, it's better than Atlantis and Treasure Planet. But it, I, I didn't. I remember not liking. I remember not liking Aladdin at all. So I didn't like a lot of the adult in, in, innuendo in Aladdin. Oh, from Robin Williams. Yeah, I just thought it was. Eh, I, I don't care for that. I think it's a little tasteless in my opinion. But that's just me. That's why we do this show, right? Because we have different opinions. Absolutely. Okay. That'll wrap up the decade do-over. Oh, I, I did. Oh. I wanted to just say real quick, uh, before we wrap it up, I put a thing out on Facebook, and I asked some of our listeners, hey, what are your favorite? If you, I said, I posted this question, said, if you were going, it's 1991, and you're going to the movies, what are you going to see? And so let me just list real quick just some of our listeners and, and some of our friends what they were going to see in 1991. So my good friend Don from Indiana, of course, was going to see Beauty and the Beast, which I thought was cool. Um, Tim was going to see The Commitments, uh, which was a 1991 release. Uh, Bobby H., a girl that I know that uh, lives here in Ohio, uh, she would she would be going to see What About Bob? That was her 1991 film. Uh, Susan in Georgia, Silence of the Lambs, was her 1991 pick. Uh, Shelly out out way out in California, uh, her, hers was Backdraft. That was the movie that she would be going to see. Uh, Leo, my buddy here in Columbus, was going to see L.A. Story in 1991. Uh, Bobby T., uh, also from here in Ohio, was going to see The Doors in 1991. And Roger H., uh, from Georgia, was going to see Point Break. That would be his pick for a 1991 movie. So, yeah, a few little... Little different movies. Do you guys remember any of those movies, yay or nay? Liked them or not? Yeah, I think I've seen most of those movies. I'm surprised that looking at the highest grossing films of 91, did you say, did anyone want to see Terminator 2? No, it's highest surprised grossing me. film. Yes. No one on that list wanted to see Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, number two grossing film of the year. No one wanted to see Hook, fourth grossing. JFK, Adam's Family, Cape Fear, Hot Shots, or City Slickers. 
The only two I, I were will Beauty say, and the Beast and Silence of the Lambs out of the top ten yeah. that people wanted to see. I will say I didn't include it. I'm looking on the Facebook list right now. My buddy Don, who first replied with Beauty and the Beast, replied a second time and said, of course, T2, City Slickers, and New Jack City were his would be round out his top four, I guess. Um, let me see. Yeah, that's, yeah, Silence of the Lambs or Fried Green Tomatoes was another one. But yeah, none of those, none of those hook or none of the, no two T's, which are shocking because that's like my favorite Terminator movie of all time, so. All right, now I think we're done with Decade Do-Over, so we'll wrap it up. And when we do this segment again, we'll go forward in time to 1992. to movie homework this is the segment where we give each other a movie and then we chat about it so last week i gave roger the babadook which is one of my favorite horror movies of recent years and roger does not like horror movies well, he's he got a lot of notes man wait page this is, worth of notes on the babadook he just flashed them at me so we're gonna have a good talk here so roger what did you think of the babadook so i'm a, let me just say it right up front i uh generally do not like horror films but I think the Babadook is a psychological masterpiece. Absolutely. I highly recommend it. Um, if we were going to vote film coterie, it would go right on the wall uh, today. I loved, I absolutely, I watched this movie two times. I watched it, and then the very next day, turned around and watched it again. I like this movie so much. I have a big smile on my face. I'm glad <laughs> to hear you like it. I did, I, and I was not, I, I, heard, I heard the Babadook. And I thought, the Babadook? What the heck is this? What the Babadook, right? And um, I literally, the second time I watched it, I made a page of notes because I was like, holy mackerel, I've got questions, I've got thoughts. And I don't want to hog the whole podcast, but my first impression was this is absolutely, and see, my uh, education degrees in psychology. So I love psychological thrillers. I love movies that mess with your mind and how we handle emotions and stuff. And the Babadook is just a cover for grief and how we handle the emotion of grief. And I've never seen it portrayed that woman that I don't know who the woman was and who that kid was. Oh, the actor. And actress. Yeah. yeah. Oh, phenomenal. She, she slowly descended into a wreck throughout this movie. She started out looking like she hadn't hardly slept in seven years, right? And as the movie went on, she just got worse and worse. And the physicality of her acting, I thought, was just amazing, you know? The kid did a good, serviceable job, you know? Um, I, will, I did chuckle a couple times because I don't know if it's his nervous tick but in, on the second viewing is when I chuckled because a couple times when he's supposed to be terrified, he kind of like grins and looks at the camera. <laughs> I'd have to look for that. I, I, it doesn't ring a bell from when oh, I've seen dude. it. Especially, uh, are we doing spoilers or not? We, I would say we... Fabaduke's, I mean, it's on streaming. It's been it's out for a while. It's a 2014 movie. So, okay. all right, we're going to get into spoilers. If you've not seen Babadook, jump ahead a good distance because yes. we're going to talk about it for a while. And 
we're going to get into spoiler territory. I'll try to put in the show notes, if you watch the show notes or get it on your phone or whatever, when we stop talking about each of these movies. I'll try to make a little notation okay. there. Yeah, so, so here we go. Know. We are heading into spoiler territory. Turn away now. So there's one scene where the Babadook shows up in the car, and she screams, and, and he goes, ah, screams in the back, and he kind of grins when he does it. It's the funniest thing in the world. Like, you know, the director was saying, now be really crazy, really, really scared, you know. And then there was another scene when they're in the house and he does the same thing. He's trying to scream like he's terrified. And this grin comes on his face, which I thought was was awesome, you know. But at the same time, it could just be like his nervous tick or something, too. You know, some people, when they're really, really nervous, they smile kind of deal. He's pretty young, too. This is a young kid in the movie. (laughs) His name's Samuel in the movie. I just looked that up again. This movie immediately, I'm watching the box. As soon as I saw those images, I thought of Nosferatu and German expressionism and that same that same look. An amorphous shadow. Yeah, and, and kind of had some Slender Man going on here. I mean, it just it was kind of cool. This 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 whole look of the movie. Um, a lot of things, man. I tell you, you know. Um, a, there was one scene at the birthday party where she's standing like the Babadook. Have, did you, have you caught that and her hands yeah. are like this? And she's getting really mad. And I thought, well, first off, let me just say this. I think it could be completely argued. Oh, I got to turn. I'm so excited about this movie. I got to turn my volume down here. I'm starting to red peak here. I'm peeking out. So if we, sorry about that. First of all, okay. If every horror movie was like this, I would go every week to see a horror movie. If it had this kind of, if it, you know, it's no splatter effects, you know, none of this. I would go see horror movies if they're like this, right? But anyway, I think it can be completely argued that the Babadook is 100% not real at all. Completely her imagination. Totally. Because every time you see the Babadook appear, it's, you don't, it's almost like, did she go to sleep or did she wake up in the bed? Is she dreaming all of this or is she not? Okay. And that's a cool levitation effect they use in this movie for the sleeping stuff. Yeah. And so, um, I think, it, but I, at the same time, it can be argued that it is absolutely real. It's 100% a projection of her grief and it's a projection onto her son who she, I think she blames him subconsciously for her husband, who was the stable factor in her life's so let's, death. So let's set it up a little. Yes, yeah, so, I'm sorry. Go ahead, yeah, Adam. In this movie, we open on a middle-aged single mom with a, with a child, and we learn that she's lost her husband. Yep. She does not want to talk about her husband, and this is important, that you know she never wants to deal with it. Yes. And all of a sudden, the Babadook arrives in the form of a book. <clears throat> Yeah, and I will say I think it could have been even more effective if you'd have just had the boy say, "Well, my daddy died," and not have him reveal. He just lays it all out and reveals how he dies. And can you imagine if we had that slow build up and we learned it toward the end of the movie why how he actually really died? I think that would have given a lot more weight to some of those middle scenes that were there. But that's just a side point. And did you catch too that she was an author? I think she's the author of the Babadook book. I think she wrote that book. Yeah, a- absolutely. I- I'm sitting there going, she's an author? As soon as she said that, I-, I think it was at the birthday party or somewhere around her friends, she- she's a child's author, child's book author? I'm like, she freaking wrote the Babadook then. I guarantee you that she did. And let's talk about the kid because he does a turnaround in this movie. At the beginning of the movie, he's annoying. He's hard to take. Yes, 
But by the end, he's the hero of the story. He really he's, is. His he's facing down the monsters. His compassion, his gentleness. I, I'm still not convinced the Babadook is not a manifestation of her mind. I, I'm telling you, the, the second viewing for sure, I was like, that's totally, she is projecting all of this out. But anyway. An interesting thing about this movie are the kid's weapons. Yeah. He's not building, he's building these weird little contraptions. He's got a backpack catapult. What else does he have? He has a little crossbow thing. Has a little crossbow deal. Yeah. He's not building these weapons to hurt anything. He's building them to protect his mom. I think that's really interesting because the school and everyone yes. else sees it differently. Yes. It's a little boy with weapons. He's dangerous. Yeah. But he's doing it to protect his mom, who he really cares about. Yeah. Um, I thought it was interesting that she doesn't gain control over the Babadook until there's a climactic scene where the Babadook raises his arms to embrace her, stretches out his arms to take her in and embrace her. And she rejects that embrace and, and does not, will not, not give power to him or, or affection to him. And so then I'm thinking, well, is maybe the Babadook her dead husband in one sense and the grief, that, it's obvious that the Babadook's power comes from the grief she feels from her dead husband. To me, that that pain, that suffering, that she keeps it all in, right? And it's not till she vomits and all that black stuff comes out. She gets it all out that she finally gets set free from the, starts to get set free from the pain and the grief. But, and it notice it all happened in the basement where all his stuff is, where all his things are kept. And even in the end of the movie, she has to go back. Every once in a while, you have to go back and visit the pain. That's such a good ending. Such you, a great ending. You can't ending. vanquish it. You can't. You have to acknowledge it. Yes, you have to acknowledge that the pain and suffering will always be with you. And sometimes, because remember how she, he asked her, so how was it today? Well, it was today was kind of a quiet day, you know. And it's like, that's the way pain. You know, I have good friends. I've lost people close to me. And I have, I have friends that have lost their children, people super close. And that pain never leaves them. And so, man, I, I, I made so much. I'm interested. Why worms though? That's my one question at the end of the movie. Why, why worms? You know, maybe just a subtle call out to graveyards. Yeah. I, I, I don't, yeah, I don't, I thought, well, maybe so. Or, you know, I don't, I just thought that was interesting. Why she had to feed it worms. Worms is what comes after you die and decompose and you've passed on and it's and it's, you know, it's, it's symbolic of post-grief, maybe. I, I don't know. Um, I liked The Babadook a lot, didn't so, I? I gave you this movie, and it's funny because I sat back and thought after it. I've given you all these grief movies, and I don't know why. they're just It's a random Dude, tie-in that's, thing. That's exactly what I'm, I'm like. Another movie about grief? Are you it's serious? It's Manchester by the Sea. Yes. The uh, Invitation. Yeah. And now the Babadook. And this is all unintentional. They all kind of tie together and they, they work well together. It's just funny. I didn't do that on purpose. And then yeah, another thing is she's not only battling grief, but she has suppressed all of her emotions. There's real issues of sexual frustration with her, right? Because you notice she's looking over and she sees uh, the, this couple kissing and she she can't move her eyes away from that, you know. Um, and then she's watching the TV and she sees the love scene and it's like that affects her. And then the scene when she's in the bed with herself and, you know, and that talk about a weird, creepy and the sun comes pop bouncing into the room. And I was like, oh, that's the EBGB's weirdo. Uh. It almost plays like a jump scare. Uh, it does. I was like, oh, 
okay, we do, oh, that's weird. Do not, we don't want to go there, you know, kind of a deal. Um, notice how she could not receive affection from her son at the beginning of the movie. If he would squeeze her harder, no, stop that. And she would go right like this, right to the Babadook pose, you know. Great movie, man. I'm telling you one thing. That was, it was really, I've talked a lot about it. I'm sorry. Um, no, I, I love this movie. And the reason I gave it to you is next week we're doing our women in horror movie episode. Women in horror as a genre. And in a perfect world, I would have assigned it to you for that week. But I'm not, I don't give you the movie that week. It was this week. So this is done by Jennifer Kent. This was her very first movie. She wrote it. She directed it. She did everything on this as far as Great. the story. And, uh, and and I wonder, maybe this is stereotyping, and I'm not trying to be. Please don't think I am. But because she's a woman, you know, maybe she's she doesn't feel like she has to go right to the gore and the the. I don't know. I I'm just interesting that it's her perspective on a horror genre film, very psychological, very good. Yeah, and that's what I want to see. I mean, I'm excited that we're getting more and more female filmmakers because they bring a really different perspective to horror, and that's what I want. So this is yeah. a great example of it. Um, she's got a movie coming out this year. It's called Nightingale. I don't know anything else about it. Um, but, you know, just based on the strength of Babadook, I'm certainly going to check up on the rest of her career. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. Absolutely. So that's my movie was homework and uh, liked it. Liked the Babadook very much. Okay, that's the end of the spoilers for the Babadook, so we'll move on. And I will be discussing Pale Rider, which Matt assigned to me. Because it was one of the only movies that Adam hasn't seen that I've seen. <laughs> yeah. So, Adam, what do you think of Pale Rider? I liked it. It is a Western, Clint yes. Eastwood, from, nine, from 85. He also directed it. Yes, it was his 11th movie that he directed, so he'd had a few under his hat by that point. Um, Pale Rider is not your normal Western. No. It has a nice, ambiguous, supernatural element to it. He plays a stranger, just called the Preacher. Yep. Yep. And he appears after a woman who's been wronged prays. He just rides up. Yep. There's a thunder crash, I think, that precedes him. She prays, thunder crash. Man comes on horseback. It's a family and some prospectors that are trying to protect their land from some thugs that want to take it over for the bank or whoever. Mining. Mining, yes. There's a gold claim there, and they're trying to be run off their land. So in their time of need, the Pale Rider appears. And, of course, this is citing to the biblical Pale Rider, a.k.a. Death. Yes. Um. The movie plays out pretty straightforward. It's real short, I think. I mean, I watched it, and I was kind of surprised it was already over when we were heading towards the showdown Did at you, the end. So you felt it was short? Yeah, I thought it was short. It's almost two hours. 116 minutes. Okay. Yeah, it doesn't feel that long at all. Yep. Um, it falls in some of your Western tropes. There's going to be a big shootout in the village, which is required for Westerns. Yes. But uh, Clint Eastwood's character is interesting. Like I said, he's the preacher. He... You see that he's been shot before. Um, there's a scene with his shirt off, and he's got a bunch of bullet wounds in his back. I think six. Six bullets. And some other characters think he's a dead man. So Yes. I won't get into any of that, but it's definitely an interesting supernatural maybe element to the film. It leaves it ambiguous. I mean, there's a lot of readings you can take from this film. No, I, I think there is. But, I mean, 
to me watching it, I think it's he's meant he's meant to be the pale like the pale rider. Yeah. From biblical revelations. Cause I think it kind of goes along with the rest, like the other high plains drifter or whatever. I think it's a yeah. series of four horsemen of the, the apocalypse. The, the, those are the four, hor- those are four horsemen movies. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And I think this is just the pale rider one. Um, yeah. Now my path to Westerns is a weird one for my, my childhood. I, I didn't watch Westerns. I never did. Um, my dad liked them, but we never really watched them in the house. My mom is allergic to them. <laughs> she, <laughs> allergic? She, she hates Westerns, so they were just never on. I didn't have much exposure to them. And the weird thing is the Gateway Western for me came from a horror director. Which one? Sam Raimi did The Quick and the Dead. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Wow, you came to Westerns late. really late. late. Yes. Wow. Fully admitting to it. It might be my second favorite genre of film. Of all time. I will say, growing up, I detested westerns. I, I hated westerns. Adam, my dad would watch them. Anything with John Wayne on a horse, we were watching, right? And I hated them until mid '80s when I watched Pale Rider. Oh yeah, I think that was when I was old enough to start catching on some of those things. And from that point on, I was—I'm not going to say. I'm not going to say I like westerns as a whole, as a genre. I, I can't say that if it's a western, I'm going to watch it, right? But good westerns that go above and beyond and try to have something in them, I thoroughly enjoy. Yeah. So once I saw Quick and the Dead, which is not a traditional western, it yeah. had all of its Ramyisms. Yeah. It's popcorn yeah. western. I went back and I saw. I like I like the Quick and the Dead. It's it's yes, yeah, it, it is what it is. But that was my clear gateway because then I went and saw the original Magnificent Seven, True Grit, Tombstone, oh. Unforgiven, oh. you know, Fistful of Dollars, Good, Bad, and the Ugly. I mean, I saw all those after that point. Yeah. But that yeah, was my so. gateway, and I I'd never seen Pale Rider, and I I liked it. Um, so thank you for the recommendation, and thank cool. you for putting it on me well awesome I, i'm glad you liked it and i'm glad i could find a movie you hadn't seen <laughs> that's always a challenge let me tell you now so now we're down to matt yes and roger assigned him a movie for this week i, I assigned matt the uh new release the new release mutiny on the bounty 1935 clark gable charles lawton and um yeah i'd be curious to see what matt's thoughts were about this movie um, so yeah, right off the gate, it has Clark Gable. Um, I will say that I am not a big, uh, uh, watcher of old Hollywood golden age, you know, sure. um, because I have impressions of those type of movies, right? Because that was in the day of like your leading man and the leading man had an image and that image was not only on screen, off screen is, I mean, whatever image they were portraying off screen, yeah, the studio they, produced them they 24/7, sure. to the screen as well. Um, I will say that in this movie, I thought Charles Lawton was great. Oh, so good. I thought he was great. He was nominated for Academy Award for Best Actor for this, I think. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, but so was Clark Gable, and that's where it got me. Um, because Gable, like, there were moments he would deliver a line and then, like, give the smile. And if you've ever seen anything with Clark Gable, you know the smile. And it, in some places, it was jarring. 
Like he okay. would deliver a line. Um, for those of you that don't know, let's back up a little bit. So Mutiny on the Bounty is based <coughs> upon a novel, which was based upon an actual event. Mutiny on the Bounty is literally a mutiny that occurred on a British naval vessel called the Bounty, HMS Bounty. Uh, this ship was leaving from England to go to Tahiti to pick up breadfruit plants and take them to the Caribbean so they would have a cheap way to feed slaves uh, is essentially what this ship was doing. Um, and it during the trip after they left Tahiti, um, there was a mutiny. Uh, the first cat wasn't even the first captain is like the mate's master or some, whatever that rank is, which was, uh, an individual by the name of, uh, Christian Fletcher, yeah. which is played by Clark, Clark Gable in the movie, um, sets adrift the captain, captain Bly, which is played by Charles Lawton, along with 18 other loyal shipmen. Yeah. And then he takes the boat. And that is the real story up to that point. He takes right. the boat and goes back to Tahiti and lives. That's how the movie ends. Um, the, to me, there, all right. So I already said Charles Lawton, I thought was great. Clark Gable, I thought was Hollywood leading man. Clark Gable, give me the smile. And I'm, I'm just not a huge fan. However, there was another actor, and I'm trying to make sure I get him because on Wikipedia, it's not even... Let me look and see. Yes. I will never say his name right. Franket Tone played Roger Byam. Oh, yeah. Tone? Uh, Tone? Yeah, 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 I don't know. Yes. I, I thought he was really good yes. in the movie. Yes. And the story is good. But here's my problem. So anytime I watch, essentially, it's not a biopic, but it's a biopic, right? I mean, it's about something that actually happened. It's a right? historical event. Drama. Yeah, historical, historical event, event drama. This isn't what happened. Like this, like in real life, Christian Fletcher and Captain Bly knew each other. There's none of yeah. that in the movie. And physically, they didn't resemble each other at all. Christian Fletcher was stocky, short. Uh, you know, right. uh, very homely, you know, right. and they make it out to seem that these gentlemen, the mutineers, one, they thought Captain Bly was too rough and aggressive with them. Right. Right. However, if you look back through the historical documents, he was actually more lenient than most British captains. And yeah. he wasn't even a captain at the time. He was a lieutenant. Yeah. But he was actually more lenient. So, and you have to also remember that most of these ships were stocked by prisoners who got the option of prison or go serve on a ship because they were thieves, robbers, you know, those kind of not necessarily the upper echelon of society. No, absolutely. And in the movie, once they get to Tahiti, they have to wait for these breadfruit plants to mature. And they spend a lot of time there. And the movie it's portrayed as one to two months. In real life, it was five months. During that time, in the movie, some of them fell in love. And you have 
Clark Gable's character not willing to give that up and the Roger Byam character willing to give that up because he has a duty to crown and country. Right. Yeah. Um, you, I see you're leaning up to your mic, Adam. I'm just going to say the economics of breadfruit sound terrible. <laughs> How do you make money on this thing? It, they, it wasn't so much money. They just needed to transplant these plants so they would start producing. The weird thing is these plants were seedless. Okay. Yeah. So that's why they needed a thousand of them or however many yeah, to try to get on the, the ship. In the movie, it was a thousand of them. Um. So, in the movie, so they mutiny. They set uh, Captain Bly out. They take the boat back to Tahiti. Captain Bly miraculously makes it to land. Makes it back to England. Then gets on the HMS Pandora and hunts down Fletcher relentlessly. Right, because they play him off in the movie as just this awful human being. He steals food, blames it on the crew, uh, takes the. I mean, he's just horrendous. Has people flogged, <clears throat> keel hauls people. Um, if you don't know what keel hauling is, they lower you down off the front of the ship and drag you along the bottom of the hull till you pop up behind the ship. Um, and he comes back and hunts him down. And isn't able to find him, but he comes back. Yep. In real life, Captain Bly was not on the HMS Pandora. It was actually another captain. He was back in England. Uh, so the movie continues. He catches up with a number of individuals uh, that stayed. One being the Roger Byam individual. Uh, and some people that were actually loyal to Bly, it's just they couldn't fit him in the boat. They set Bly adrift in. So they take them back to England to do a court martial. Um, and Bly is there testifying against them, and all of them get sentenced to death. But Roger Byam, because the court martial believes him, asks for King's mercy, right. gets mercy, and goes back into the Navy. Uh, and that's kind of where it ends with his story. Yep. Um, in real life, Bly was nowhere to be found. They were sentenced, and there is no such person named Roger Byam. However, he is based off of one of the individuals that that actually did happen to. Um, but I guess my problem is I look at what really happened, and the real story is so much more interesting to me because you have two people that were friends, and then something happens. Sure. And it gets to the point that one of them kicks the other one off a boat in the middle of the ocean. Not just these people that had never met um, and went on. And and Fletcher in the movie is seen as a good guy doing things for love and wonderful. And in real life, that's kind of it. But the people that went with him weren't. They went to Tahiti on the bounty, grabbed Nine women, 11 men from Tahiti were going to use the men as slaves and start their own colony. What really happened is they ended up killing each other in like Lord of the Flies style, um, becoming possessive over women and land and resources and just killed one another. Um, so I like I like the story better real life story better than the movie. Um, but the movie wasn't bad. It's not like it's, I, 
I had a visceral reaction to the Marx Brothers movie that you gave me, Duck Soup. This one, there was no visceral reaction. I sure. It was a good movie. It was a good telling. Well, I think, too, I think part of the problem is, and we have to realize this movie was made in 1935. Yes. This movie wasn't made in 2005 or 1995 or 85. 35. This is depression era film this film really resonated with the american audience who felt the constraint of the depression at the time and felt like the man was lording over them kind of a deal um and clark gable even though he was popular this was the film that really launched him into his iconic status after this film there was no bigger box office draw except for shirley temple at the time after Mutiny on the Bounty. No, you're and absolutely so, right. So you're kind of coming, you're, you're you're looking at this film having already seen all the Clark Gable-isms when they weren't Clark Gable-isms when he filmed this movie, if that makes sense, you know. Um, so I think a part of it, we, we have to, whenever we go back to classic Hollywood, we have to put ourselves in a mindset, no film in the 30s, 40s, or 50s is going to have anything close to gritty realism. But this film, I mean, my goodness, had ship battles, was filmed actually in the real ocean, you know, uh, very epic in nature. I mean, at the time, nothing like this had ever really been on cinema before. This was groundbreaking stuff here, you know. And so part of what I do when I do send you guys back in time to see a movie, I'm not necessarily looking for you to say, oh, that was a great movie. I loved it. But I hope you can start to see wow, at the time this movie was shot and for what they had to deal with and what was going on, yeah, that's, there's an appreciation for the period in which it, that, the actual film was shot, maybe. No, you know? I, I, I get that, but I have to be careful from that from my standpoint because I'm looking at this and going, this film was made in 1935. We're in the middle of the Great Depression. And I think as an individual, one, either I wouldn't have enough money to go see a movie, or if I did, I would go see a movie and just get mad that there's people on screen making, you know, what to them was tons of money for pretending to do something while we have like cheese lines. You know, I, I mean, right. I guess I come from it from a different, like it just, if I put myself in those shoes and start thinking about movies made like in the thirties, I think it just yeah. makes me mad. Cause I'm like, and, and, Oh my goodness. And, why why but, are we but, seeing movies when we sure. can't beat ourselves? And I respect that. But the reality of it was this was a very positive and upbeat movie that encouraged the country in a very positive way because they broke through, they broke out of the chains of enslavement. They broke free and ended up on their Island in a new world and a new life. And, uh, their Shangri-La was discovered at the end. Yeah, and people were probably using movies for escapism at the time. No, so, yeah. I, I, and, and, I and history agree. will tell you. History will tell you that no matter what is going on, even when the economy goes in the tank, Great Depression, that 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 uh, movie theaters and bars still continue their same level of business because people need a, an escape from reality, kind of a deal. But yeah, I'm no, glad. It's, and, and listen. Um, I, you know, I don't know if I would go out and watch it again, but I enjoyed it while I watched it. Yeah. Right. Because I didn't, you know, hit the Wikipedia till after to go, sure. well, if this is based on a real story, what's this real story? And then that's when the pieces started, you know, and, the chinks and, and in and the you, armor And started. you self-admittedly said you're not really a biopic 
fan to begin with because 95 percent of the movies you're gonna see are don't are nothing even remotely close to the real events yeah and i mean and this is a i mean this topic has spawned i don't know eight films i mean i think the last one was a mel gibson film with oh, anthony yeah. hopkins called bounty yeah so i mean this this has been done i mean it's it was one of the First, Marlon Brando did a version yeah, of it. Yeah, Marlon Brando did a version of it. There's been a bunch of them. So They've never done a sci-fi version. Well. <laughs> or have they? I, that I don't know. Space breadfruit. Space breadfruit. But no, Charles Lawton, Charles Lawton, you will hate his character oh. in this. And you are meant to, and it is wonderful. Yeah. Even his facial expressions great. are great. Yeah. I don't know if those are his real eyebrows. If those are fake eyebrows, those are the best. I'm an angry old man that will beat you eyebrows I've ever seen in a movie. Yep. Okay, time for new assignments to be divvied out. So Matt was the last to review. I'll let him assign first. All right. I have Roger. Normally I would assign Roger a crazy movie because I like weird movies. Um, but since since we've made such a fuss out of Goon... And the Goon 2, and oh my goodness, who would watch this other than Canadians because they like hockey? Um, Roger, I want you to see Goon. This is a good Sean William Scott movie, and you don't get to say that often. Stifler. Roger's just I, in I, shock. I'll tell you right now, I saw one one of the American movies with the Stifler. American Pie. Yes, and absolutely hated the movie. Yeah, this, was was one of the worst experiences I've ever had in the theater with this character named Stifler. I hated he, him from the moment he was on the screen till he left it. So he I'm does, just he doesn't play Stifler. I'm just saying, just for fair warning, I, I'm going to go try to go in with an open mind and say, okay, I'm just going to watch it and experience it and see if I laugh. But on the other hand, like uh, Slapshot, I love, I love, great. It, listen, if you like Slapshot. <laughs> I bet you you're going to like Goon. Pay attention to goalies. That's the only thing I have yeah. to say. Okay. And awesome. where can you watch it? Um, I believe, hold on, let me look and see. I believe it is up on some of the streaming services. Du, 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 du. Maybe not. Have they taken it off? But you can rent it from YouTube, Amazon. Oh, yeah, I'll just rent let it. Let me look. Hold on. Let me look and see because I should have checked while I was talking. <laughs> Because I know for a while it was on Netflix. It's on Netflix. It's on okay. Netflix. Awesome. I'll check it out. Okay. Uh, for Matt, I get to sign him a movie. Yay. I actually wrote in one of the articles this week what I was giving you. Did you? Yeah. The what to stream. I put that this is the movie I'm giving Matt this week. I'll be honest with you. I was having severe computer troubles this week and haven't done anything. I so, fried my computer on Tuesday. Next week, uh, we're going to be watching the anthology movie XX. So I'm giving you an anthology movie I don't think you've seen, and that is Southbound. Southbound. Let me it, look and see. It's on Amazon Prime. It's free to stream if you have an Amazon Prime membership. I have not. I do not recognize that box art. Okay. So let me set up Southbound just a little bit for you. They made some anthology movies recently, the VHS series. So there's VHS 1, 2, and 3. Three's garbage. Don't ever watch it. But I've one seen and 1 two. and 2. 1 and 2 are good. So one of the best groups from the VHS series is called Radio Silence. 
they went and did this own thing called Southbound. And for any anthology movie, this is my favorite wraparound. The connective tissue between these stories is great. So that's your movie, Southbound. Gotcha. I am excited. I will go check it out. Uh, as you did with me, where can I find this? Where did you say streaming? It's streaming on Amazon Prime, free Amazon if you have a membership. Prime. I do because I like getting toilet paper to my house in two days. Awesome. And I have my assignment. And, of course, if you remember from our last uh, movie assignment that I had with Adam, I assigned him the James uh, Cagney film White Heat, uh, my favorite gangster film of all time. And I wanted to see, um, I wanted Adam to see Cagney in a, in, in a role exact opposite of a gangster flick. And so I asked him if he's ever seen Yankee Doodle Dandy. And he said, I have not. And so I assigned that movie for Adam to watch. It's streaming and available. And um, where is it available? Uh, I, I thought I saw it. I have it. If, if it's not okay. available, I have it. Well, I'm going to dress up like the Warner Brothers frog next week with my straw hat and my cane and do my dance after I see <laughs> well, Cagney. Well, I, I'm really interested to see if it, if you think it, it's, if if it's a departure. Now, you've seen Cagney play Cagney in like a gangster film. Yeah, the tough little guy. Yeah, and so then uh, I'm interested if you'll see him playing a totally different character, or you think he's just Cagney trying to do a musical, you know, gangster Cagney trying to. Do, so I'm just, I'm really curious on your. Um, yeah, I think Amazon. Yes, it is for rent. Yep, three ninety nine. Nineteen forty two. Oh, uh, yeah. I have it if you if I can dig it out of the closet somewhere. That's fine. I can rent it. Okay, that'll wrap yep. up movie homework. <laughs> All right, and we are back, and this is the Film Coterie Podcast, and we are at our last segment for the show this week, and that's just kind of like coming attractions, what's happening. Adam, what's going on this week? What can we look forward to this week on the Film Coterie? All right, next week is our big week. It's the episode I've been working on since we started this podcast. Yes. We are going to be celebrating women in horror. So next week, we should have an interview with Brooklyn Ewing, the director of She Was So Pretty. We'll be reviewing the anthology film XX. We should have a review of Get Out, which comes out next week from uh, Jordan Peele, one half of Key and Peele. And then we'll also be doing our Oscar bet. Oh, yes. So we will have be you, reviewing you, our Oscar picks. Have you informed Matt about I the Oscar bet? have not. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> yes. What's the bet? I think we've arrived on a suitable bet for yep. the two losers, assuming there's two losers. Which is? The two losers have to go see the movie of the winner's choice. Together. together. At a movie. At a theater. It could be Fifty Shades Darker. We don't know what it's going to be. <laughs> whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> but that will be the punishment for the losing punishment. this bet. Whoever wins gets to assign a movie that the other two have to go together in the theater and see. Roger, I would love to go see Fifty Shades whatever with you. No. God. Don't you tank it in, in, on purpose, Matt. Just <laughs> and we already discussed Roger be punishing me with the space between us. Yes. 
it's young adult, and that preview has damn near killed me yes. every time I, I see it. I might even have Tori go you with know, him. You know if I win, I'm just going to make you go watch The Great Wall again. <laughs> you can. That is within your right. If you <laughs> win, absolutely, you can dispatch and, me right back to The Great I Wall. And if I win, if I win, I'm going to make y'all pick up Tori and go see The Space Between Us. <laughs> As her two dads. As her two dads. Oh, that would be great. <laughs> oh, man. All right, so that is a packed episode. Yeah, next it's going to be a great episode next week. I'm very excited about our interview. Uh, also, just check us out. We're filmcoterie.com. You can find us on Twitter at filmcoterie, and we're pretty active on Facebook. So, as you've seen, Roger puts out questions each week. If you send him an answer, he'll give you a shout out. Yep, absolutely. All right, I think that's going to wrap it up. Matt, anything else? Uh, no, hopefully this week I'll be more engaged as I have got my computer back up and running. Nice. And I won't be traveling to Canada. I had to do a mad dash the last two days here to get caught up. All right. On behalf of all of us here, we're so glad you checked us out and we'll see you next week on the film coterie.